Good morning, Joy Church. How are you doing today? Good to see you guys. Come on, you can do better than that. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Oh, man, I've had a lot of coffee. Not enough, but a lot. And I don't know about you, but I get really excited for Sundays. And honestly, last night, I felt like it was Christmas morning the next day. You know when you're eight years old and tomorrow's Christmas and you can't sleep? You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's so that's how I felt about today. I'm just excited. I believe God is here. God is going to do amazing things. He is doing amazing things. We had a great time in worship. Man, I want to encourage you if, you, if you are like, maybe you've been a Christian for a little bit, or maybe you're not a Christian, and you're kind of kicking the tires, worship is a great time to just experience the presence of God. And you might see some people that look overly religious like me, lifting their hands and things like that. You know what I'm doing? I'm drinking in, man. I am, I am just saying, God, I just want everything that you have for me, all the hope, all the life, all the joy. I want to give you my life. When you give your life away to God in worship, what does he do? He fills you up, and it's a great exchange. So awesome. Well, hey, I am incredibly excited to continue to move forward in our series, Minimal. How many of you are enjoying Minimal? How many of you were here last week for Pastor Mike Batchelder? He did an incredible message on prayer. If you, did, if you, haven't, didn't, if you weren't here last week, first of all, why? But second, <laughs> go online, joyeugene.com. You can go to our messages tab. You can look up that message. That was a life-changing message on prayer. Just amazing. So go check that out. We're moving forward in this series. Now, Minimal is a series about making space. Somebody say make space. space. Making space in our lives for God to move. Making space in our lives to be the people that God made us to be. How many of you know you're made on purpose for a purpose? You are not time plus slime plus chance. You are not a biological accident. You are not somebody's mistake. Come on, I'm preaching right now. You are here because the, the living God decided to breathe life his breath, and bring you into this planet. You have purpose. Come on, somebody. Wake up. It's Sunday morning, right? That God brought you to this place. And so God has a purpose for your life. And so being minimal, taking, making space in our life isn't just so we can be marginally more happy so that we can say to Oprah, I followed your three steps and now I feel better. That's not the point. The point is saying God has purpose in my life. I was made uh, on purpose and for purpose. And so I want to make space so I can be the person God made me to be and do the things that God made me to do. Because let me tell you right now, in this room, there's so much potential that if each of us would connect with just a fraction of what God wanted to do with us, this city would be transformed from the inside out. Come on, your marriage would be transformed. Your family would be transformed. Your workplace would be transformed. Your school, amen. Amen. If you're not a Christian, amen is what Christians say to transition to the next thing they're going to say. So we're talking about this in the minimal series, Making Space for God. Today, we're going to talk about making space for relationship. And relationship is such an incredibly important topic. It's, an, it's, a, it's a critical aspect of our faith. Did you know that we were literally made for relationship? You and I were made for relationship, first of all, with God but not just relationship with God. We were made for relationship with one another. Relationship is core, it's critical. And yet we find ourselves living in this hyper-individualistic society, which is odd because in our society, we are more connected through technology than ever before, right? So there are seven out of 10 people in the world are on Facebook. I don't know if you knew that. Billions of people are connected on Facebook. It, now, it used to be, you know, that it was the Western world, the developed world that was connected with technology, but now you go to any third world country and everybody's got a cell phone. In fact, they've hacked theirs and theirs do cooler stuff than ours. We pay 800 bucks for phones and ours are locked down and we can play like solitaire. Theirs can like, you know, do stuff in space. 
They've got it all worked out. The whole world is connected, right? And yet, in this incredibly technologically connected world, people are more disconnected than ever. Don't you love going out to a restaurant and seeing a group of 20-year-olds sitting there all having fun with each other? <laughs> Sorry, UO. I love you guys. I used to be 20. I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous. My wife's 20. She's actually turning 20 uh, on her birthday, but love you, babe. We're more disconnected than ever, even in this crazy technology. I remember one, one evening, Bethy and I were, were in, living in Medford at the time, and we were walking through our neighborhood, and just this beautiful evening. It was nice. It was warm outside, and I think we were out walking our, our dog or something like that when we had a dog. Now we have kids, so we're, you know, we've graduated from that. You can't have kids and dogs. They're the same thing. They poop where you don't want them to. They eat the food they're not supposed to. It's the same thing, right? So we were walking our dog, and I remember walking through this, our neighborhood, and it's this beautiful summer night. It was just gorgeous outside, and nobody was outside. And as the evening kind of came down, and it was getting dark, I began to see the light in everybody's window. And everyone, we're here, we're in this neighborhood, there's thousands of people all around, and yet nobody's connected. Everybody's in their box, connected to this screen, and the, the light was shining through the window. And it just hit me, man, we're so disconnected, right? Even with our technology and this ability to connect, we're more disconnected. There's got to be a better way. And I want to tell you today that we need a revolution of relationship, specifically as, as followers of Jesus, to be a church that's going to make an impact. You know, how many of you know Joy Church isn't just here to have fun on Sundays? That's not what we're here for. God, God birthed our church for, with purpose. God birthed us as a church with mission. We are here to make disciples of Jesus, we're here to, to, to follow the Great Commission. We're here to see people get free. We're here to see marriages restored. Come on, we're here to see people get delivered from drug addiction. We have a mission and to see that mission come to pass, we, we need a revolution of relationship. People that are going to disconnect, and I, I'm, I'm not preaching to, the, I'm preaching to myself here, disconnect from technology and connect with real human beings in real relationships. I want to encourage us today to make a deep commitment, a real commitment to make space in our lives for real relationship. You see, relationship is so incredibly powerful. In fact, I would call it the primary mechanism of spiritual growth and natural growth, personal growth, and the primary mechanism for change in our lives. Pastor Chris Hodges talks about this. He says, how many of you can remember the last five sermons that you listened to? I mean, list them off and, and go ahead and lie to me a little bit and make me feel good. But five sermons, I mean, I can't even remember the last five sermons I preached. And so I know you don't remember the last five sermons you heard, right? But how many of you right now off the top of your head could tell me five people that changed your life? Five people that made an impact. Come on, raise your hand. Five people. Can you remember? Can you think of five people? Man, this person shaped me, whether positively or negatively. They affected me. They left a deep mark on my life. So yeah, our words powerful? Absolutely. Is teaching powerful? Yes. But relationship is more powerful. We need teaching. We need to come and listen to sermons. We need to grow. We need to hear the word of God. Absolutely. But what's even more powerful is relationship. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked a question. The Pharisees and religious leaders, they, they were the, the religious elite of his time. They came to him and they had this question they would ask teachers and rabbis and people and they wanted to kind of get them to sum up the most important thing. And so somebody asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, what the most important commandment was. Now, by this time in, in Jewish history, at this time in the first century, they had actually developed over 600 unique commandments 
How many of you feel like church has a lot of rules, right? We don't have 600 here. We got like one. Have fun and, you know, don't throw coffee on people. I mean, I don't know. We can make up a few more. But they had 600 at least. And, and you had to keep all of them. And you had to be meticulous and make sure that everything was there. So they were saying, well, hey, what's the essence? Let's boil it down. And so it says in Matthew 22, verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he, this is Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, which sounds like no one you want to hang out with, right? I pray that God, nobody ever calls me that. This is Jake. He's an expert in religious law. You're not invited to the party. Okay. It says they tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus, give us your take on God. Give us your bottom line on what it means to be you know, a good person. What's, the, what's the, the, the answer here? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Everybody's nodding along. Yeah, you got to love God. That's the answer to every question in church. Love God. Be better. Be perfect. Love God. Don't do naughty things. Don't cuss. If you cuss, you're bad. You're, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's the religious answer. So everybody's nodding along. Yeah, you got to love your Lord your God with all your heart. And he's quoting scripture. Jesus is quoting a commandment that they've received. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. But then he goes on. He says, a second is equally important. What Jesus is saying here is not, okay, it's one and then two. He's saying these two things are the bottom line. These two together. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And so in a nutshell, what Jesus is saying is, yeah, you got to love God, but you also have to love people. And when you break this down in the original language, what he's actually saying is the way you love people demonstrates how much you actually love God. How many of you have ever met somebody who claims to really love God, and yet they are a real big jerk? And please don't say it's me. I hope not. You know, it's the kind of person that you're in the grocery store and your kid is being naughty, which for us is every time we're in the grocery store and the person looks over and, you know, and you're just like, come on. But they do that with religious things like, you did what? You know, the whole year, how many, that's like, we don't like that, right? And there's people that, that think, well, I'm, I really am right with God. I'm so, I'm, God and I are just like, we're like, we're like, I can't, what am I doing here? We're like this, you know, we're tight. We're together. Jesus says, no, no, it's not, about, it's not about just this abstract love for God. That's not what makes somebody in. It's love for God and love for people. And how you love people is how you actually love God. What Jesus is saying here is it's about what? Relationship. It's about the relationship, yes, that we have with God. Is relationship with God important? Absolutely, it's critical. But you know what? Show me a person who loves other people and I'll show you somebody who God is working in their life. Come on. Show me somebody who actually has a genuine care and compassion for people and, and wants to serve other people and wants to help other people. And that person is probably getting something from God, not the person who just is judging people and critical and mean and, and all this kind of stuff. Now, if that's you, look in the mirror and say, man, I, God, do, do something in my heart, right? Because if I say I love God and, oh, I love to go in the time of prayer and I love to be in worship, and then somebody says, well, hey, can, can you... Um, open your home and let some people that don't know Jesus come and have, have supper. And you say, oh, no, 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 no. I just, I love God so much. Shut your mouth. Ooh, he's salty. Somebody hadn't have decaf today. Our pastor's funny. Okay, moving on. 
Jesus is saying it's all about relationship vertically with God, horizontally with other people. C.S. Lewis, here comes the obligatory quote. You knew it was coming. I haven't done it in a while. C.S. Lewis once remarked, he said, there are two things you can't do alone. You can't be married alone, unless you're Dennis Rodman, but he didn't come along yet. C.S. Lewis said, you can't be married alone and you can't be a Christian alone. Because actually, people say, oh, Christianity is like you pray a prayer and then you go to heaven. That's not what it is. Christianity is that you have given your life to Jesus and you've received the, the, the mercy and grace of God and now you live it out. To live out your life as a Christian, it requires other people. You're not saved into a solitary relationship with God. You're saved, brought into the body of Christ, the church. You are united with other people who are as screwed up or worse than you. And you got to love them and love other people in the world. Come on, somebody. You can't be a Christian alone. The French poet, who was known as Stendhal, he said this, and I like this. He said, one can acquire everything in solitude except character. Have you ever found out that you tend to agree with yourself? Like when I'm all alone and I'm thinking things, I'm like, man, I'm so smart. But then the problem is I talk to somebody else and I'm like, here's my brilliant idea. They're like, ah, it doesn't work because of this reason. You're like, oh, how dare you question my brilliance, you know? You can do everything alone in solitude, but you can't build character because character requires somebody rubbing up against you and rubbing the rough edges off and the challenge. And as the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens his friend. Come on, you need other people in relationship to grow. And so the mission of our church, the mission of Joy Church, if you want to understand this place, not this movie theater, it's a great movie theater, but this church, you want to understand what this community is, what we are about, we are about relationship. Our mission statement is love God, love people, and make disciples. And you know what? I believe that if we are doing the two first ones, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving people as we love ourselves, loving our neighbor, then the third thing happens almost automatically. People want to follow Jesus. Come on. Because it's a community that is absolutely in love with Jesus, being changed, transformed from the inside out, experiencing the life-changing power of the gospel, experiencing the joy of salvation, experiencing the character transformation and freedom that comes from relationship with Christ, but also absolutely in love with the city, laying its life down for people, not judging, but laying our lives down and serving this community that's not known for what we're against, but known for what we're for. We're for God getting his way in this city, which means everybody wins. Come on. When God is king in the city, everybody wins. I'm a Democrat. Do I win? Absolutely. Well, I'm for this or I'm against, you're, everybody wins. I'm a Republican. You win. Everybody wins. It doesn't matter what side. Well, I'm black. Well, I'm white. Well, I'm Chinese. I'm this. It doesn't matter. Everybody wins when God gets his way. Come on. When that church, that's what we're about, you guys. That's our mission. Love God, love people, make disciples. So relationship with God and with others is huge here. It's our core value. When Bethany and I were praying about planting Joy Church, we said, we, we, we believe God put this in our spirit that we wanted to be a church of authentic relationship. Now, you can take that and say it's a cute buzzword, authentic. People throw that around. But authentic relationship is like people that you can straight out ugly cry with. You know, when you sound like a dying walrus on the phone, you know, you're crying to people and you got real relationships, right? Who do you call we wanted to be a church that didn't just have relationships on Sunday. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Hey, sister. And stuff like that. That's lame. You can say brother and sister. I do. I grew up in church. It's fine. But that's not authentic relationship all by itself. Come on. Man, I got more to say today. I'm just going to move on. Shoot. 
Relationship is so very important. But here's the thing. Let's switch gears today. See, we talk about relationship. And everything I've said up to this point, what you've probably done is you've turned it to yourself, which is fine because we apply things to ourselves, And we think, yeah, relationship is so important. I need relationships. I need people in, in my corner. I need relationship. But what about the people that need you in relationship? What about the person that's desperately lonely and hungry for fellowship? They're hungry for somebody to care about them, hungry for somebody to know them, hungry for somebody to give them a hug. My wife was listening to a story. Uh, man, I don't want to get a little bit emotional, but about a, a woman that was, couldn't come to Christ. And the guy was like, you can't come to Christ. And, and she was all mad, but she told him the story. Her mom had never loved her, never even given her a hug. She never felt what it feels like to have somebody love them. How can people understand what God's love feels like if we won't even give them, a, you know, give them a hug, open up our life? See, we turn it to ourselves. Well, yeah, I need relationship. I need people to do this for me and be there for me and encourage me and mentor me and challenge me and build me up. And you know what that is? Ultimately, it's, that's great, but it's incomplete because what about the people that need you to do those things for them? And so today, as we talk about making space for relationship, I want to bring this word and pivot it and say, let's think about us being the people that are offering relationship to others. Remember this, you need people. Come on, say, I need people. You're not an island, right? You aren't. You need people. But here's the second part. And people need you. I need people and people need me. This morning, I want to give you four keys to living in relationship. And I want to do that uh, using the acronym, using the word TEAM. And I want to talk about four words using the word TEAM. Transparency, encouragement, accountability, and mentoring. And I want to just teach, give some teaching today about what it looks like to live in relationship and to offer relationship to others. So if you're an acronym person, you'd be like, woo, if you hate acronyms, God, God loves you and I love you. We're still going to do it. I love, I love acronyms. My staff gives me so much garbage about it, but I just, I love them. I've got CAP, RAD, TEAM, what else? T, I think I did one for T. I haven't shared that with them yet, but T, I'm just kidding, moving on. Today's T. I want to talk about transparency. Somebody say transparency. And I want to ask you this question. Who in your life sees all the way through you? Who in your life sees all the way through you? Who in, who in your life sees all the stains, all the shadows, all the imperfections? And are you the kind of person that's offering that to someone else? Are you the kind of person that someone can get around and they, they feel like they can actually let down the, the curtain or, or, or let down the walls and, and allow you to see through their life? It's interesting that in the Garden of Eden, when humankind fell into sin, you know what one of the first things that was lost was transparency. Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve are tempted. Eve eats the fruit, she brings it to Adam and he eats the fruit and they break relationship with God. And what do they do? It says before they were naked and they were unashamed. They were vulnerable. They had true intimacy. They were open, completely open without anything to hide, cover up, didn't feel embarrassment or shame in their relationship with God. And there was complete transparency in their relationship with one another, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all around. So when sin comes, what's the first thing that happens? They, they hear God and they run and what? They hide. Isn't that what we do? Man, I drank too much. I looked at somebody I shouldn't have looked at. Talked somebody, I did this, I did that. I've been here, I've been there. I've done this, I've done that. Can't break this habit. What do I do? Cover. I put my makeup on. I come to church and say, brother. And I say, amen, louder than other people. 
I don't talk to anybody. I hide. The response to sin and shame is that covering up. They, they run in there, hide. They're ashamed. God has to kill an animal. It's the, this whole theological thing, but he gives them covering. He has to cover them up because they're ashamed. They're, they're in sin. It's concealment and hiding. This, they were naked and unashamed. They were vulnerable. They were able to live in transparency, but now because of sin, they have to cover up. They have to hide. I'll tell you a story about this. This is just what makes me love my Aunt Angela more than anything in the whole world. If any of you, you, probably none of you know my Aunt Angela. She's my dad's sister, and she is one amazing woman. And uh, one day her friend, this is years ago before cell phones and things were out, her friend calls her and says, Angela, I've been on this cruise, and I got so sunburned. I'm red as a lobster. And so I'm just laying on my bed. I can't even get dressed. I'm just laying here naked and ashamed. And she sends her this message, and it's on an answering machine, right? How many of you remember that? Your answering machines. Or the kids are like, what? It's an answering machine. Why don't they leave a voicemail? No, it didn't work like that. I used to be able to prank call people because people didn't know who it was. <laughs> Unless you start whatever number that was, nobody remembers. Anybody remember? Six, star six six seven. Okay, and you'd have you could do that, but people could un they could star you back and block their number, and then you could prank people and be like, "Hello, hey, oh, this is you know," and call people. I called our church like forty times and pretended to be pastors from foreign countries, and then I'd get on the phone with my dad, and the secretary hated me. Anyways, all that aside. <laughs> So my aunt calls, her, her friend calls her and says, Angela, I'm here, I'm laying on the bed and I'm naked and ashamed. So my aunt, God love her, she's an amazing person. She waits and then she calls her, her friend back and doesn't get an answer. And so she's kind of like, what's going on? Misty didn't answer. I don't know if that's her name, but we'll call her Misty. So my aunt, in a flash of brilliance, decides to leave her a message on her answering machine. And again, you don't know whose number it is, right? So she, she calls and she gets this, this amazing voice. I won't do it justice, but it sounds a little bit like this. Misty, I see you there. I see you through the window. You're on your bed and you're naked and ashamed. <laughs> and so about five minutes later, she gets, a, she gets her friend Misty, calls her on the phone and she's crying. Angela's some sicko. He's looking at me through the window. <laughs> and he says, I'm naked and ashamed. Come on, naked and ashamed. And my aunt says, I love you, or something like that. And then she's cussing her out, or whatever happened after that. Come on, we like to hide, don't we? Because we, we feel naked and ashamed. Somehow we're going to move forward into a spiritual lesson here today. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is in light. He is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But listen to this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us all, purifies us from all sin. There's more there, but we're going to move on. God wants us to be a community of transparency, a community that walks in the light, a community that is able to actually trust each other enough and be in a, in a state of relationship in which we don't feel the need to cover to, 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 to conceal, to make ourselves look or, or appear better than we really are. The ability to put our guard down and say, you know what, this is me, all my warts, all my pimples, all my problems. And this is who I am without Jesus. This is, this is who I am. Come on. And trust each other. See, the thing is, we believe a lie about transparency. We, we believe that I'm the only one with the shameful secret. Well, I'm the only one that deals with this thought. I'm the only one that struggles with this habit. I'm the only one. And let me just tell you, that's not the case. 
So you might look around this room and think, man, everybody in here is so good and clean and perfect, and I know a lot of you, and it's not true. <laughs> and you know me, and you know it's not true. I've actually cussed in a sermon before, so if I, I mean a real pastor cussing in a sermon, Wade's giving me high five, you know, he's excited about that. Thank you, Wade, we're transparent. We believe that lie about transparency, don't we? God wants to set us free from that. God wants to set you free from wanting to conceal and cover yourself, because let me tell you something, when the blood of Jesus comes on your life, there's nothing to hide anymore. You can say, man, I was blind, but now I see. I was dirty, but now I'm clean. I made mistakes, but now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Come on, when the gospel gets a hold of your heart, things are different from that point forward. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> when the gospel gets a hold of your heart, there's nothing to hide. Come on, somebody. You can, you can say, look, this is what I'm dealing with. You go, yeah, but I still struggle with sin. Welcome to humanity. Jesus' closest disciples continue to struggle with sin. Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face in a crowded room. Peter, you suck. That was actually translated from Greek. You know, that's what it really said. Because Peter was being, he was, he was being a religious jerk at one point. I mean, they still had problems. And you're saying, well, but here's the thing. It's, is it under the blood? Have you given your life to Jesus? We need to be a community of transparency. What I want to see is this church be a place that has an atmosphere of transparency, the freedom to be open and honest. Transparency. Number one. Number two, encouragement. We're talking about being part of a team, living in relationship. Four keys. Encouragement. Man, encouragement is so valuable, so important. Who are you encouraging? Not who are you critiquing? Who, not who you are, not who are you criticizing, not who are you constructively helping to get better by being kind of judgmental. Who are you encouraging? I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, you, you kill a man with small praise. Do you give people, hey, you did a good job, but? Or do you just say, you did a good job? Hey, that was, you know, hey, honey, you did a good job, uh, you know, vacuuming there, but? You might as well just not say the first part. Come on. Encouragement is just building somebody up, lifting people up, speaking hope, speaking life into them, encouraging them. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. This is a command from Scripture. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling the church in Thessalonica, look, don't, don't be critical of each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. How many of you feel like, you know, I'm just, I'm over-encouraged today. I'm I'm too encouraged, and so please, nobody encourage me. Could somebody just criticize me because I'm, my encouragement meter is too high? Do you ever feel like that? No! You literally can't encourage people too much. Right? You can't. So you can't go wrong being a person who's an encourager. And the thing about encouragement is that it's so much more powerful than we think. How many of you have been significantly encouraged by someone and it made a difference in your life? Come on. Somebody came alongside and said, man, you're better, you're better, you can do, you're so good, you could do this. You, you're gonna crush it. You're gonna get that job. You know what, you're gonna pass that test. I believe in you. How many of you, have had that happen in your life? And that person, they, they, it took them 30 seconds, but for you, it was, a, it was something powerful. And yet we think, oh, well, I'm, you know, it's not that powerful to encourage people. Try it and see what happens. How many of you have seen Dumbo. It's a classic. It's on the registry of classic films. You know, it's Dumbo. It's a, an art house favorite. No, it's actually a Disney cartoon. It's weird, too. The person that wrote it was definitely doing acid. So, but in Dumbo, 
Just be real about it, right? There's freaky elephants and stuff. You know what I mean? Just got to be real. Dumbo. How many of you remember Timothy Mouse, right? His little manager guy. We all need a Timothy Mouse. I mean, you just got to have a Timothy Mouse. Be an encourager. And Dumbo, he has these big old ears, right? And Dumbo has the ability, and it's don't, if you're scientific, I mean, it's not, it's a cartoon. It can't really fly. But in the movie, Dumbo can fly, right? And he has this ability to use these big old ears, and Dumbo can fly. But Dumbo doesn't believe in himself, and so Dumbo needs encouragement. And so he's with these, I think they're crows, right? And the, the guys are singing and, and all the stuff, and they're kind of making fun of him, and he gets discouraged. So then they tell him, well, look, we have a magic feather, and if we give you the magic feather, then you can fly. And what do they do? They put some hope. They light a fire in him. It's like, I can fly. I've got a magic feather. They encourage him. They're lying, but you know, he already has the ability. But they give him encouragement. And then what does he do? He flies. He flies. Do you realize you're carrying around a magic feather? Your words are a magic feather. And it's not that your words are what gives the person the ability to do what God put inside them to do. It's that you are giving them permission to believe. You're saying, I got a magic feather. You can fly. I got a magic feather. You can fly. It's like Oprah. You get a magic feather. You get a magic feather. You get you, your, your words, your encouragement has the power to help people fly. And then Dumbo, he loses the feather and he's like, oh no. And Timothy's like, no, it was you all along. But, but the encouragement is what got him to take a flying leap, to jump into his destiny Encouragement's so powerful. The poet William Arthur, Arthur Ward said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. Encouragement is fuel to the fire of hope. I try to make that P really pop. The fire of hope. I'm just too, I have too much hope in my life, so please don't encourage me. Oh, everybody needs more. Everybody needs more. We're living in an incredibly discouraged culture. I was just heartbroken. The quarterback at Washington State University took his own life. I mean, he was going to be a starting quarterback for a major university. Like, you think he has everything to live for, and yet something that he didn't have, the fire of hope. There was discouragement. We look around and we think, you think everybody looking at their phone like this is happy? They're not that they're fulfilled, that they're over-encouraged? No. So we're carrying around a magic feather. Let's use it. Come on, encourage people. Number three, accountability. Who calls you out on your stuff? And who do you hold accountable? Who, who, are, you, who are you helping to hold to the standard of what God has put in their life and who they really are? See, accountability is not this negative thing, though. It's about seeing people and believing, believing in people as God sees them and as God believes in them. Do you have the capacity to believe the best about the people around you or do you always see the worst? Do you always see what's wrong with people or do you, could you see the potential and the possibility of their life? I wanna challenge you to be somebody who's a possibility thinker and who holds people accountable to who God made them to be, not, not, not holding them accountable. You know, we gotta hold each other accountable for mistakes. That's, that's a, there's a part of that, but we're good at that, aren't we? And we're not so good at holding people accountable to say, hey, God has so much for you, Right? My mom would say something to, to me and my siblings when we wanted to do something. And it didn't have to be necessarily a bad thing, but it was something outside of maybe what we needed to focus on. And she would tell us this. She would say, others may, and you may not. And it would be like, well, mom, you know, Aaron's doing this, and they're going to go play this, and they're going to stay up to this place, and they're going to go to this lake, and they're going to jump off this bridge. And, they're, you know. and she's like, well, you know, and their parents let them. Well, others may, but you may not. 
And it was, what she was doing was holding myself and my siblings accountable to the destiny and the purpose and the level that she believed that we could get to. Thank you, mom. Thank you. How many of you are willing to have the courage to say you are better than that? We're transparent. We're vulnerable with each other. Man, I've encouraged the snot out of you. You got magic feathers sticking all over you because I've been encouraging you so much. And that decision right there, that choice right there, mm, that's not you. You're better than that. Because others may, you may not, because you have a destiny in God. And so we go, man, I don't really want people, like, I don't want to be accountable. I don't want somebody sort of watching over me. But let me tell you what the opposite of accountability is. It's indifference, which means nobody cares about you. See, the thing is, in my marriage with my wife, there's times when she's like, Jake, what's up with that? You know, the other day she, she lovingly told me that I was complaining a lot. And so I kind of, you know, walked away a little hurt. And then I came back and I'm better now, you know. And, and I told her, thank you for letting me know because I didn't realize I was being negative. I didn't realize I was complaining. But I'm thankful for that. And you know why I'm thankful for that? Because my wife is holding me accountable, not because she's mad at me or doesn't like me, or doesn't love me, or she's mean. She's holding me accountable because she didn't marry a wuss, complainer, loser. She married a champion. And champions don't spend their life complaining. And so she's saying, champion, come out. You know, come out and play. Where, where are you at? And you know what that means? It means she cares about me. She notices me. She's watching me. Come on, accountability's good. Be grateful for it. Pursue it and offer it to other people. All right, last one. Mentoring, and this one is so important. Who are you investing in? Mentoring, you call this one discipleship. You could call it leadership development or developing people, but mentoring, who are you pouring into? You might think, well, I don't have anything to give people. Yeah, you do. Here's the thing. None of us know exactly what you're thinking or how you think or whatever, and you have something to offer. Come on. You, are, you have value. You have something to give to other people. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. In other words, follow the leader. Hey, I might do not everything right, but if you imitate me, I'm following Jesus so you can follow me. And when I make a mistake, I'll say, don't, don't do that. But you need to be the kind of person that's modeling and mentoring and pouring your life into people, investing in other people. You are not called to be a spiritual consumer, sit in a chair and suck up spiritual nourishment and get so fat that nobody can move you spiritually where you sit there and go, I'm just not getting fat at this church. <laughs> the worship's not good enough. You're called to pour out to people. Let me tell you, what, when water flows in somewhere and doesn't flow out, we don't drink from that water gets stagnant. It's nasty. You can get the most pure water of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, the very best preaching you've ever heard, which is here, you know, you know, you get when Bethany preaches and you get the very best of what God has for you. And if you let it sit in your life, you become pond, a pond of stagnant, scummy water that nobody can drink from. And the minute you open that gate and begin to flow out, with all, even with your imperfections, you begin to be a pure running stream and you're going to make a difference in people's life. Who are you developing? Who are you investing in? I don't have time to do that. Make space. I recently went go-karting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, that's the most epic man thing I've ever done. I don't hunt. I don't fish. But I, I, like, I read books, you know, and... Uh, I went go-karting and it was amazing. And the go-karts were not like metered. They didn't, they weren't slow. They weren't like the, me, 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 you know, kind of go-karts. These were like the <laughs> kind of go-karts. 
I just feel good. I was up in Canada. My friend took me go-karting, and we're going around the track, and I'm slow and, and terrible. I crashed many times. I was, people were zipping past me. I'm like, why did theirs go twice as fast? They're like, you're just a bad driver. So one of the guys was actually a, sem, a semi-pro racer, and he was amazing, and he had an awesome racing jacket, and he had a European accent, so I knew I could trust him in the racing profession. And so he was an awesome guy. And he's like, you know, I, I said, hey, can you give me some tips? And he's like, sure. What you want to do is not anything you just did out there. Okay, thank you. En encouragement. He said, this is how you take this corner. And this is how you, you know, you're going to shave off this amount of tenths of seconds around this corner by doing this. And you're going to put your brakes on here and you're going to do this. I go out the next lap and I just go, I mean, so much faster. And I, I think I got fifth place out of tenth. And I'm like, I am in the middle. I am mediocre. But when, you're from, when you go from 10th to 5th, you're really happy, right? It's a big jump. I'm like, feel, and then I just feel incredible. I'm like, top gear, where are you? I'm coming to be part of the show. <laughs> so we do another lap, and I, and I kind of don't, I think I even drop back a place, and I'm like, oh, what are, you know. So then the next race, he, he's like, just watch me. Follow me. Watch this. He gets ahead of me. I don't even, I don't think about what he taught me. I don't think about break here, do this, do that. I just do what I see him do, third place. Which, I mean, I know it's a bronze medal, but hey, I'm happy. I went from 10th to like fifth or sixth with teaching. But when, I'm, when he modeled, when he mentored me, when I got behind him and I followed him and I imitated him, when I had somebody to show me the way, when I had somebody to show me what to do and I could see it, not just hear it, but see it and watch it, the teaching was helpful, but the modeling, the mentoring was huge. See, we love in church in America to teach people, well, we're going to have a Bible study. We're going to get some teaching. That's great. It'll make people mediocre. But modeling and mentorship and relationship and discipleship and investing in people will make them champions. It'll get them ahead. Come on. If you can turn me into a bronze medal racer in the go-kart track... What can Jesus do with your life? Helping others goes way beyond teaching. It needs to move on to modeling and coaching. All right, we're going to finish up here. I know I'm out of time. How many of you are okay today? Good stuff. Come on, anybody happy today? All right. I want to give you some uh, action steps, just some ways to put, put uh, this message into action in your life. Last week, Pastor Mike said something really powerful, and it stuck with me. He said, prayer is not optional. It's essential. Prayer is not optional, it's essential. And I want to take those words and put the word relationship in there and say relationship is not optional, relationship is essential. I want to ask you to, to, to examine your heart and say, have I made space to be part of a team, transparency, encouragement, accountability, mentoring? Am I investing in people? Am I pouring my life out to people? Am I vulnerable with people? Am I open? Am I creating space for people in my life? Because it's not just optional, it's essential. It's what being a disciple maker is about. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you aren't called to just be a consumer. You are called to be, an, you're, you're called to be in action. You're called to play the game on the field. You're called to make disciples. Can I get an amen? So here at Joy Church, we have a pathway. What we've tried to do is we've tried to institutionalize. We've tried to organize, not just around uh, just being a church on Sundays, but we, we've tried to organize around our mission. And so you might have heard us talk a little bit about these things called joy groups. Anybody ever heard anything about joy groups here? 
We try to say it a lot, and we're going to be saying it more, and here's why. Because the pathway for us to grow, the pathway for us to make an impact is not through more teaching. Teaching's great. I'm not going to stop teaching. We're not going to stop doing that. But the pathway is through more relationship. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you are not part of a joy group, then be a part of a joy group. And I know that and we're working on it on the back end of getting more groups and, and open and all that kind of stuff, but, but be a part. Kick the door down. Do whatever you need to do. Joy group leaders, if somebody, they're going to follow my advice here. Make some space. Be a part of a joy group. You can't afford to not be a part of that relationship and you need to be investing in others. And here's the second one. If you at all, in any way, if you have a pulse, if you've accepted Jesus, you know, more, not today, but any time previous to today, you are qualified and called to lead a joy group. Well, I don't know the Bible and I don't know, I'm not perfect and I'm not, welcome, welcome to the rest of us. Well, Pastor Jake, you know how to teach the Bible and all this stuff. No, you guys, I, I'm, I'm a work in progress too. Come on. Here's the thing, guys. If we will make space for people and say, God, I might not be much, but what I have, I'm gonna give to you. Watch what Jesus will do with the space you make in your life to open up and say, I wanna serve people. I wanna open my home. If you at all would just take some time and pray and say, Jesus, am I supposed to be part of a joy group? Am I supposed to lead one? Am I supposed to open my home? How can I invest? Here's what I wanna challenge everybody to do. Do not leave this place and not take at least one step forward. So that's okay if you're back here and you're like, I don't even, I don't even, I don't even talk to people. Just take a step forward. But maybe you're somebody and you're kind of up here and you've got some good relationships and you kind of know what I'm talking about and the Lord is knocking on your heart today. Tick, 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 tick. Knock, 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 knock. You're like, I don't hear it. I'm sorry. I don't hear it. Just take a step forward. You don't got to take a big step forward. Just take a step forward and watch what God will do with the space that we make. There's a whole message right there. What can God do in the space that we will create, in the space that we will make for him to move?